Those of you who are having your Bibles, please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3. For those of you who are here for the very first time, this is an expository preaching church. We preach verse by verse. But uh, uh, if we were to go through the book of Leviticus and preach it verse by verse, uh, I, I believe that we will all become a burnt offering at the end of it. Um, but we will be looking at it chapter-wise, and our goal is to go through the book of Leviticus and wrap it up by the month of June. But there is a lot in there that I'm gleaning from, and I'm excited as I'm studying God's Word on my own, that I'm, I can't just wait to come on Sunday morning to share with you what I have studied through the process. The title for today's sermon is, Are You at Peace with God? And when we look at uh, the book of Leviticus, no book contains more of the very words of God than that found in the book of Leviticus. I mean, all of the Bible is God's word, but not all of the Bible is uh, an actual record of God's spoken word to one of his servants. It's a direct dictation uh, here that we find. I mean, he reveals through prophecy, as scriptures have been written because of the prophecies, uh, the, by inspiration, as he's been using uh, different people to write scriptures directed by the Holy Spirit, uh, to write down his words for us. But this book, the book of Leviticus, is a direct record of God speaking to Moses, which was then shared with the people of God in the Old Covenant and with us today. In chapter 1, we looked at uh, the burnt offering, and that was the first sacrifice. The purpose of the burnt offering was to atone for sin. And when sin had to be removed, when sin had to be expiated, when sin had to be satisfied, a person would come into the presence of God with a sacrifice and be reconciled to God. The next offering that we saw that was last week was Leviticus chapter 2, and we looked at the grain offering. The grain offering expressed dedication and thanksgiving to God. So first comes expiation from sin or satisfaction satisfying the righteous wrath of God from sin, removing our sin, and then we see dedication, expressing thanksgiving and worship to God in chapter 2. Now we are in chapter 3. Once a sin is atoned for, and the worshiper had expressed dedication to God, he or she was finally ready to have fellowship with God. So the main emphasis in Leviticus chapter 3 is that of celebrating the blessing of being at peace with God. That all is well between the worshiper and Yahweh. The Hebrew word for uh, the peace offering here in Leviticus chapter 3 is the Hebrew word shalemim. And if you hear the word shalemim, you hear the word shalom in it. It's from which we get peace. It's a shared meal in which the worshiper shared his offering with the others. It was kind of a communal meal that the people had as they came together with the offering. So let's read Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 36. 
If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand upon on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burned offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 6, he's transitioning onto a flock. If his offering for a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord, is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Verse 12. Now he transitions to a goat. So we looked at the herd, an ox. We looked at the flock. That's if it's a sheep. Now we're looking at a goat in verse 12. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on his head and kill it in front of the tent of the meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all of the fat that's on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. Verse 17, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generation in all your dwelling places, that you shall neither eat fat nor blood. Now, if I were to go to a steakhouse, I couldn't order a medium rare. It had to be a medium well. I'm glad that we don't apply that today into our lives. Well, let's keep going to Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 36. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. So keep in mind it's a thanksgiving offering. With the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering which with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offering. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving 
shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. So that was a Thanksgiving offering, and he had to eat it on the same day. Now he transitions onto a second kind of offering. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow, you make a vow to the Lord. If it's a vow offering, or there's another transition, or a free will offering. So the three kinds of offerings, Thanksgiving, vow, and free will. It shall be eaten on the day that he offers a sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with the fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or any unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by the beast may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, if in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off. He continues in verse 28 with more instructions. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offering. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And that the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offering. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings, and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offering, and I have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and his sons from the Lord's food offering from the day they presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It's a perpetual due throughout their generation. Wow. Aren't you glad that you are not there doing this? You see, like chapters 1 and 2, chapter 3 falls into three paragraphs. We're looking at chapter 3. falls into three paragraphs. If you look at chapter 3 of Leviticus, you have verses 1 through 5, verses 6 through 11, and verses 12 through 17. And then, as I read Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 36, that gives you more details on the peace offering. 
So when you look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it deals with how the cattle are to be offered as part of the fellowship or the peace offering. Verses 6 through 11 of chapter 3 tells you how the sheep are to be offered. And then verses 12 through 17 gives you an instruction on how the goat is to be offered. You see, we see the same principles repeated three times in the passage. And so you learn how God is teaching by repetition as he discusses the same pattern for the cattle, the sheep, and the goats. Now, if I were to be writing this, I would have said, guys, listen, this is how you offer the cattle, and ditto sheep, ditto goats. Why go through explaining every single process for the cattle, for the sheep and for the goats. But God is teaching us by repetition. Now, one of the things that you need to notice in all of these is that you couldn't offer an animal with had defect on it. So there had to be no defects on the animal. It had to be slaughtered, and the priest would splash the blood on the altar. The worshiper would then take the fat and the kidneys and give it to the priest and it's burned on the altar. That's the best part of the meat. The marble on the steak and the fat. And you gave your best to the Lord as you worship the Lord. And then Leviticus chapter 3 verse 17 states that you eat neither the fat nor the blood. The prohibition of eating the flesh with the blood in it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verse 4, where it reads, you shall not eat the flesh with its life that is in its blood. We also read in Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, that if any of the house of Israel or strangers who live among them eats any blood, God says, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you for an altar, on the altar, to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by life. So why would, not, why would you not eat the meat with the blood in it? Because God says the life of the animal is in the blood. And when you're sacrificing the animal, the animal was pouring out its blood as a substitute. So blood is the means of the atonement. That's why you did not eat the meat with the blood in it. Now the main challenge as you read through Leviticus chapter 3 is that you do not get a full information to the peace offering. So you have to glean the rest of it from Leviticus chapter 7. So turn to Leviticus chapter 7. Let me give you some of the instructions we read there. First, in Leviticus chapter 7, we learn that this peace offering is a communal meal. You don't gather that from Leviticus chapter 3. You have to look at Leviticus chapter 7 to understand that this was a time to share. It was not a time to be selfish. And how do we know this? Because you read certain instructions that is given for us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 7, in verse 15. 
So if you look at verse 15, it says that the flesh of the thanksgiving sacrifice should be eaten on the day of the offering, and you shall not leave any of it until morning. Verse 16 reads, If it is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers, and on the next day what is left may be eaten, but beyond that you should not be eating anything. There should be nothing left. It should be burned with fire. So based on that, we see that this sacrificial offering, if it was a thanksgiving offering, you could not leave anything for the second day. You had to eat everything on the first day. The exception being, if it's a vow offering or a free will offering, you could eat it on the following day. So this encouraged the worshiper to share the meal with others, especially the poor. You couldn't take it home in doggy bags. You brought your sacrifice to offering, to the, to, the, to the tabernacle, to the temple. And as you bring your sacrifices, you're affirming that God would provide for your needs for the following day because you eat it on the same day or on the next day. You don't take it in a freezer bag. You don't take it in Tupperware for leftovers. You're supposed to share it with others. You see, according to the peace offering, you are thankful to God for God's mercies. And if you're truly enjoying fellowship with God, you would have a spirit of generosity and you will have a concern for God's people. And you are bringing more than enough for the people of God to participate in this great communal meal. So anytime you are coming to offer your peace offering, you take your family, you call your friends, you call the strangers, you call the poor, you call everybody together and say, here, let's partake in this fellowship together. That's what you did when you came with your peace offering. This is exactly what the church is supposed to be doing. You are to be generous and hospitable. You are to desire fellowship, not just with friends who agree with you, but even with those who may not. You need to have fellowship with those who may not belong to the same social class as you or ethnicity as you, but with everyone who belongs to the body of Christ. And as a believer in Christ, this is how you ought to live, live your life. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, that the early church had all things in common. They, they were the Jews and the Gentiles. And what we read there is they were selling all their things that they had and distributing to those who had need, and they were sharing with one another. That's how the early church lived their life. So let us now look at the why of this offering. We've seen what this offering is. It's a peace offering and how they did the peace offering. And what they did when they brought their peace offering together, they would come together in a communal meal. Now let's look at the why. Why did they do this? Why did they offer the peace offerings? We see three reasons for why they offered the peace offerings. And we see that in chapter 7. It could be a thanksgiving offering, a vow offering, or a free will offering. The first one is found in chapter 7, verse 12. If he offers it for thanksgiving, 
Then he shall offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice, unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour mixed with oil. The thanksgiving offering is a sacrifice of praise. The people are coming together, the worshiper are coming, they are coming together, and they are declaring before the congregation, here, this is what God has done for me. We read plenty of examples in the Old Testament as to how they came forward with thanksgiving offering. One of it is found in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 15. And you don't have to turn there, but the story goes that when Saul was made king, the people were celebrating. They were thankful. And so they went to Gilgal, and they sacrificed peace offering. Shememem, peace offerings to the Lord. And as they sacrificed peace offerings to the Lord, it says all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly, the people were grateful, and they gave a thanksgiving sacrifice to the Lord. Another place we read about the thanksgiving sacrifice is found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62. That is after the temple was built by Solomon. Solomon and all the people came together to offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to the Lord. And if you wonder how many oxen and sheep they sacrificed, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62, they offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. It is said that the altar did not have space, could not hold the burnt offering, so they had to consecrate or set apart the entire court to contain all the sacrifices. Thanksgiving offering. Would you please turn with me to Psalm 100? Keep your finger in Leviticus and turn to Psalm 100. It's a psalm for giving thanks. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Now, I want you to see something there. I want you to see exclamation marks. So make a joyful noise to the Lord, first exclamation mark. Serve the Lord with gladness, second. Come into his presence with singing, third exclamation mark. Know that the Lord, he is good, another. It is he who made us and we are his life. We are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, exclamation mark. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There's six of them right there. There's something happening in Psalm 100. People are rejoicing. People are giving thanks for what God has done for him. There's excitement. There's enthusiasm. There's a lot going on there. And the psalmist is saying, you know, if your heart has felt God's presence, and if you're grateful for what God has done for you, then come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Exclamation mark six times. You see, the praise offering, a thanksgiving offering, benefited the entire congregation. The widows, the poor, the priests, the Levites, the friends of the worshiper, they were all part of the thanksgiving offering. You share in the bounty of the blessings that you received from God with others. You say, Lord has blessed me. Let's eat of it together. And as everyone came together, 
they would collectively give thanks. And they would hear of God's goodness. And they would hear of God's mercy. And they would praise God. There was no distinction as they came together. They didn't just invite their friends. But everyone in the worshiping community was part of the communal meal. Now keep in mind that the nation of Israel, many people were not rich. They were poor. Not all of them could eat meat like we do. We feast every day, but not for them. And an occasion like this of a communal meal, when many people couldn't even afford to eat meat regularly, this was an occasion of rejoicing. As people came together and they were invited to this communal meal, to this fellowship, to celebrate what God has done, a thanksgiving offering. Let's look at the second offering, and that's found in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 16. It's a vow offering. You make a vow to the Lord. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Samuel's um, mother, Hannah, made a vow to the Lord that she would dedicate her son to the Lord if he would but give her a boy child. And when the Lord answered her prayer, she fulfilled a promise, completing a vow, and in obedience to the instructions found in Leviticus, what did Hannah do? She went to Shiloh, and she gave her son to the Lord, offering a peace offering at this time. And we read about that in 1 Samuel Chapter 1, verses 22 to 28. She says, Lord, I made a vow to you that if I get a child, I'll give him back to the Lord. And she offered a peace offering. We see this also when a Nazarite actually made a vow. We read about this in Numbers chapter 6, that they would go to the temple and take a ram without defect for a peace offering. We also see in Psalm 56, the psalmist says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanksgiving offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. A vow offering. The third that we read there in Leviticus chapter 7 is a free will offering. It says, this was an offering, as you read about free will, it was spontaneously given to the Lord out of one's own free will. We read about that in Exodus chapter 35, verses 10 through 29, where God gave instructions to build the tabernacle. And Moses relayed this to the people. They, Moses gave the people the information as to what they needed to build the tabernacle, all the supplies that were needed. What did they do? They supplied to the construction project. The people responded. The Bible reads, As their hearts stirred them, bringing jewelry, fine yarn, tanned skins, silver, bronze, acacia wood, onyx stones, spices, and oil. And Exodus chapter 35 verse 29 says, These things were donated as a free will offering to the Lord. Many years later, the people gave free will offering for Solomon 
When Solomon wanted to build a temple in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, they gave a free will offering. In Ezra chapter 2, verse 68, we read that when the people returned from the Babylonian captivity, they gave free will offerings for the house of God to erect on its site. That was free will offering. It's something that they gave from their own heart. The Apostle Paul picks up this language of free will offering to describe New Testament giving. And he says, when you give your offering to the Lord, according to the Apostle Paul, it's a free will offering. Not something given to the church. It is given to the Lord. And the church supplies those to those in need. Free will offering is completely voluntary. You give your free will offering out of the generosity of your heart. It's not based on how much God asks. You don't look up to God and say, God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. You don't need any more. You just come into the presence of God and you give out of the joy of your heart. You give a free will offering. God doesn't need your money. So don't come to church thinking that somehow you are to be obligated to give to the Lord. If you give to the Lord, it must come from the gratefulness of the heart that you have for the Lord. Generosity of your heart. And that's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. So there were three types of giving. Offering for the peace, a thanksgiving offering, a vow offering, and a free will offering. Now having seen each one of these, let us now look at how it all connects together to us in the church today. And so I have three things for you there, three truths as far as the peace offering goes, how it all applies to us today. First, we see Christ has become the peace offering on our behalf. Second, we see the Lord's Supper is our fellowship meal. And third, you need to examine yourselves as you participate in the Lord's Supper. So let's pick up with the first one. How has Christ become the peace offering on our behalf? Would you please go with me, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. You see, when you read Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we realize that our fellowship with God is only possible through the blood sacrifice of an animal. This fellowship offering is an offering that is given to the Lord in thanksgiving. Why? For the peace that has been established between the worshiper and God. We know that peace was established in Leviticus chapter 1 through the burnt offering. 
And as a result of one's sin being expiated, as a result of one's sin being satisfied or atoned for, now one is giving thanks. The relationship between God and the worshiper has been healed. And the relationship is no more estranged, but restored. And so the worshiper is so grateful that he comes and offers a peace offering. Paul picks up this language of peace in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Would you please turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul telling us here? He says Christ has become our peace offering. You see, in the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament, when they brought this animal into the presence of God, it was a foreshadowing of the real offering that established peace. Jesus' atoning work established the grounds for a peace between a holy and a loving God and between His people. Jesus' sacrifice of atonement is the basis for our peace. And therefore Paul says, having been justified, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is taking us back into the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 3, and shows that Christ is the peace offering. That Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And as the blood of Jesus Christ satisfied or appeased the wrath of holy God, His wrath is turned into love. On Golgotha, the one who gave us the animals for the burnt offering, the one who provided the sacrifice for Abraham in Genesis 22, becomes a sacrifice for us on Calvary's cross. And so as a result of this, you and I have peace with God because of Christ's death on the cross. So yes, every time the Israelite went to the tabernacle, and he offered his peace offering. It was a foreshadowing of what would happen 2,000 years with Christ on the cross as he would die on the cross and establish peace between God and man. So Christ is our peace offering. Next, thing, next truth that we see is that Lord's Supper is our fellowship meal. Remember in the peace offering, the fat and the kidneys and the liver were offered to the Lord. A portion of the animal was given to the priests. And then the remainder of the sacrifice was given to the worshiper who would then take that sacrifice and call all his other worshipers together and throw a great party as a memorial meal. That's why we said Leviticus chapter 3 is a communal meal. You're testifying to the community at large that God has restored your fellowship with Him. That your sins have been expiated. That you now have open fellowship with God. 
and you're rejoicing as a result of that. So you call your friends, you call your neighbors, you call the strangers, and everyone to the communal meal. And you're saying, let's eat of this together. You know why? Because now I have fellowship with God. Why? Because this sacrifice died in my place, and I have now fellowship. The substance of that meal, the thing that was eaten by those who share in the communal meal, was a sex, very sacrifice that established peace between the worshiper and God. And this is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we partake of the body and the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross, we are celebrating, we are letting the world know that our fellowship is restored and we are at peace with God. What did Jesus say at the Lord's Supper? He said, this is my body. This is my blood offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. In the Lord's Supper, you and I celebrate that we are at peace with God. When you sit down to break bread, you're declaring that you are not in enmity with God. Because your vertical relationship has been restored, now you're able to sit down at the memorial table and partake of the Lord's Supper. Essentially saying, I'm at peace with God. You know, enemies cannot sit down and eat a meal. If you remember the story back in 2012 with the mixed martial art, the, the two giants who were fighting, Anderson Silva and I think it was the American counterpart, Sonnen. Anderson Silva was in Brazil. And they were exchanging words with each other. And there was a lot of things going on in the press. They were fighting against each other. Verbally. But finally at one match, when finally Anderson Silva beat Sonnen. And Anderson Silva at that point of time invited Sonnen over for a Brazilian barbecue. And they sat down and ate a meal together. And from then on they became friends. It's... Enemies cannot eat together. It's friends that come together and eat a meal. And so when you are coming to the Lord's table, you're essentially telling God, I'm not an enemy of God. I am your friend. Why? Because Christ died on the cross for you. This is what a peace offering implied. And when you call your neighbors, when you call your friends, when you call the strangers, and, and you call the worshiping community, and you're sitting at the Lord's table, you're demonstrating that you are one body with each one of them. Isn't this what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16? The cup of blessing that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are participating in the body of Christ. We are celebrating the meal with one another in the body of Christ. 
you are telling that you're reconciled with God and you're reconciled with other believers. This is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. Verse 18 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order, for, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And he goes on into verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Because what they did when they came together, the rich would bring all their sumptuous meal and they would party with other rich people. And so the Bible says in verse 21, when in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, the poor go hungry, another gets drunk. Why don't you just party in your own house? But when you come to the church of God, why do you do this? Because you are participating in the communal meal. These people were, were not treating others the way God wanted them to treat one another. You know, if you're in enmity with another Christian, and you come to the Lord's table, you know what you're implying? You're implying that you're in enmity with God. You know, because what happens? Because you are at peace with God, you are part of the Lord's table. Another believer is at peace with God, and so he or she is part of the Lord's table. But if you are at enmity with each other, what are you saying? You're saying that either, A, God, you didn't die for him or her, or you're saying that person does, does not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. They are an enemy of God. So essentially, two Christians, two people, when they come together Lord's table, cannot be at enmity with one another. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, you know what verse 24 says? Leave your altar, I mean, leave your gift at the altar. I don't care for it. Just leave it at the altar. What do you do? Go. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So if you come to the Lord's Supper, which is a communal meal, and you remember that you haven't reconciled with a brother or a sister, Jesus says, just leave, go reconcile, and then come back. This, my beloved, is the point of the peace offering. It symbolized reconciliation. Two parties, God and you, separated by your sins, are brought together because Jesus died on the cross. And now, as a fact of that, as they did celebrate the communal meal, Jesus' body, we are partaking in that communal meal with one another. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven, and we are adopted into his kingdom, 
and we are in fellowship with him. Eating a meal meant there was fellowship not only between God, but also with one another in the body of Christ. I wish we had tangible means to celebrate that we are at peace with one another. Maybe like the nation of Israel, we slaughter a lamb or a goat to tangibly indicate that I'm at peace with you. Well, there's dangers on both sides because that can become a ritual. And that did become a ritual for the nation of Israel. It's something that has to happen within you. That as you come to the Lord's table, and I wish we had celebration of the Lord's table today. And that is why we sang that song, Psalm 51, a psalm of confession. That when you listen to the sermon, you're reminding yourself, am I at enmity with someone in this church? Am I not united with a brother in this church? Am I not united with a sister in this church? If I call someone my brother, then that brother has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord. And you're coming together to enjoy in that fellowship meal. Let's truly mean why we do it. Let's move on. And that leads us into the third truth. Examine yourself as you participate in the Lord's Supper. You see, when the worshiper brought the peace offering in Leviticus chapter 3, so would you please go back to Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. Reads, If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. You see, the priest would stand and examine the offering. You know what the priest examined the offering for? To make sure that the offering was without blemish. It could not have any blemishes. It had to be perfect. And we just established something, right? The Lord's Supper is a counterpart to the peace offering. So if the Lord's Supper is a counterpart to the peace offering, it means when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to be examining what? Ourselves. There are no policemen standing out here on the day of the Lord's Supper coming to you personally asking you, by the way, are you right with the Lord? The elders don't come to you and say, are you right with the Lord? Well, technically they should. We leave it to you. We leave it to you to ask yourself and ask God, am I right with one another? Am I right with you, Lord, before I partake of this communion? We need to examine ourselves. On a sidebar, the Lord's table is only meant for Christians. Just because you were born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who has trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, turned from their sin. They have confessed that they are saved by the meritorious work of Christ and Christ alone. They have made a profession of faith. They have repented of their sins. And they are showing fruit 
in keeping with repentance. So not only do they have to be believers, they also need to be believers. Listen to me. They also need to be believers who are not living in unrepented sin. Why do I say that? Would you please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Verse 19. Leviticus chapter 7. Verse 19. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat the flesh. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. So you couldn't eat unclean flesh, and you can't be unclean flesh. And what is the punishment if you did so? You were cut off from the people. And isn't this what Paul is alluding to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27? Would you please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 again? As Paul connects the dots, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So what you must do? Examine your own life. Every time you partake in the Lord's Supper, examine your own life. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 and following, it says, let a person examine himself and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 reads, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Verse 31, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. That is why we are judging ourselves truly. We are examining ourselves. If we are in right relationship with the Lord, and we are in right relationship with each other, before we come to the Lord's Supper. You see, Paul is making a parallel between the peace offering that is what we read in Leviticus chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So it's not that you have to be perfect in order to participate in the Lord's Supper, but you need to deal with your uncleanness before you participate in the Lord's Supper. You need to deal with your unrepentant sin. And if you have confessed your unrepentant sin, and you're reconciled to God, and if you're still living in unrepentant sin, then there's a problem. If you haven't confessed your sin. I want to show, with you, show you another passage that we can look at. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 21, please. Leviticus chapter 21, 
verses 17 to 23. Leviticus 21, 17 to 23. Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout the generation who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man, a blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face, or a limb too long, or a man who has injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's offering, food offerings, since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You see how difficult it was for people in the Old Testament who had any of these disabilities or scabs or disease or any of these things to even approach a holy God? No one with a defect could go near a holy God. But beloved, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills the law. And he transforms us. I want to show you a story in the New Testament that teaches that principle. Would you please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 14. I'm sorry, I lost you here. Luke chapter 14, sorry. Luke chapter 14. Uh, I just lost my sound for a moment. I was distracted. Sorry. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. And this is a story that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. How he fulfilled the law of Moses. It says, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, well, what did they say? I have brought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported those things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Do you see how Christ transforms us? 
In the Old Testament, if you are poor, you're crippled, you're blind, you're lame, you couldn't enter the presence of God. But now in the New Testament, if you're poor, you're crippled, you're blind, you're lame, but if you recognize the truth and turn from your wicked ways and turn from the hardness of your heart and repent of your rebellion against a holy God and you seek Jesus, you're welcome to the banquet. And when you come to the banquet, you will be given the very perfection of Jesus Christ. God will clothe you with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So beloved, as we live our life here on earth, I'm not asking you whether you're perfect. What I'm asking you is, have you confessed your sins? Have you turned from your rebellion? Are you seeking the Savior? I want to finish with this verse, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 reads, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. As you come with your peace offering, you come remember, reminding yourself that Christ has become your peace offering. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you become part of the communal meal, the fellowship meal, and you are now participating in the Lord's Supper. And as you participate in the Lord's Supper, the question arises, are you examining yourself? Are you without blemish? The question is not, are you perfect? The question is, do you recognize that you're lame? Do you recognize that you're poor? Do you recognize that you're filthy? Do you recognize that you're blind? Do you recognize that on your own, you cannot come to God? And here is Christ saying, come. And he gives you a righteousness, a righteousness that belongs to Christ and Christ alone. Shall we accept that righteousness that comes from Christ and say no to our self-righteousness and trust in him and in the Lord? Father, we thank you for, for the word that you've given us, that you're able to teach us through the Old Testament that is there. As Paul writes, all scriptures God breathe, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect unto all good works. Thank you, Father, that we are able to read the Old Testament and glean principles from it so that we can now live a life for your glory and for your honor. Be with these precious saints as they continue to devote their lives in celebrating the peace that they have with you and as a result with one another and honor their desire Lord to live holy lives in Jesus precious name we pray and all God's children say amen